This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. We have reached the end of 2022, hopefully in one piece, more or less. And despite a very shaky economy, Elon Musk being Elon Musk at Twitter, and an increasing pressure to ban TikTok in the US, the creator economy actually came out looking pretty good. Like a 19% increase in valuation to hit $16 billion kind of good. So what will 2023 look like? I called some experts to find out. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. To kick us off here, I reached out to Stephanie Smith at United Talent Agency IQ. UTA IQ is the company's division that focuses on data, research, and digital strategies, so of course they've been tracking the creator economy. And from their research, there are a few things to look out for in 2023. For starters, the need to be authentic will be as important as it's ever been. You know, it's been happening the last couple of years over the pandemic, but was really, really accelerated this year was this idea of needing to pull back the curtain more and be exuding more authenticity. We've seen this huge trend of consumers desiring a behind the scenes look at the making of their favorite films. TV shows, digital content, podcasts, and my team actually did a study around this, and we found that one in two U.S. consumers are interested in the process of actually creating entertainment. And I think that this translates to their desire and has translated to their desire or even really their demand for the talent and creators themselves to pull back the curtain on their own life and show a level of raw authenticity that's really previously been unprecedented. And again, like while this has not necessarily been brand new this year, I think it's been accelerated over the last 12 months. And I think now specifically the rise of Be Real is taking it to a whole new level. You know, the app is popular with consumers because it forces candid moments and it opposes the typical Instagram aesthetic. And while celebrities have not, and at this stage, they really cannot, based on how it's built, adopt the app. I think what we're seeing are these trends bleeding over to the other social media platforms as it becomes an expectation for content and for content creators as a whole. This is something that I think we're going to have become a lot more typical. I think consumers are going to get more used to seeing this kind of content. It was a nice to have before. And in 2022, I think it's now necessary. You have to be creating content in that way. Something else that's not necessarily new, but will be very important to pay attention to in 2023 is this idea of shifting from having an audience to having a community. There's this whole concept of this triangle, upside down triangle of influence, where at the top of it, you have the large mass social media audience. And that's everyone that you're reaching on social media. And that's great. That's table stakes. You need that. But in order to be successful, you really need to move your fans down that funnel and get them from the broad audience into that owned audience who is willing to convert for you. They're willing to do things for you because they trust you to that degree. They support you to that degree. They want to be part of whatever it is that you're doing. And that's where you get to this niche audience, a subculture of hyper-specific fans who love you and will follow you through whatever it is that you're doing. And, you know, as we're talking about 2023, 
three trends. I think that rise of the niche community and subcultures is one of the biggest things we're going to see continue to grow and is most important because with so much out there, it's not enough to appeal to everyone anymore. You have to appeal to a specific audience in order to move the needle. And to that point of fostering more niche communities, UTA's research points to curation as another major creator economy trend in 2023. There's an abundance right now of content. When we're thinking streamers, linear television, podcasts, films, books, digital content, like there is so much to choose between. My team did a study and we found that half of you as adults have said that they feel overwhelmed by the surplus of content just on streaming services alone. So that's not even mentioning everything else that there is to choose between. So because of this, I think consumers increasingly need help curating this content to determine what fits their personal preferences and is going to be the best use of their time. So, so far, I think we've seen this happening with apps that tell you what to watch, who to follow, meme accounts that curate, you know, a collection of content from around the internet to help pare it all down. But I think what we haven't seen a ton of are creators themselves leaning into the space to provide curated recommendations for an audience that loves them, aligns with their tastes, and wants to be close to that by consuming what they consume. And so I foresee this becoming more mainstream for traditional creators in 2023. And I'm not talking about like a book talker recommending their favorite reads to you, but instead you're favorite celebrity or your favorite YouTuber feeding you a regular stream of what to see, what to watch, read, listen. Niche communities and curation make sense if you look at the rise of platforms like Discord, Mastodon, and Geneva. These are platforms that often prioritize conversation around more specific topics by operating like forums to a certain degree. So I asked Stephanie how she sees this playing out in the larger creator economy. It's more about one-to-one or one-to-few. And we've seen that as people are not posting as much, you know, overall post rates of how often people are sharing to platforms has gone down. Hmm. And then we're also seeing it with like tools and things that different platforms are rolling out. Like just this morning or yesterday, Instagram announced notes, which is basically like a status bar on Instagram. And the way you interact with it is by replying directly. So you're putting that out there to all your followers, but it's not a public communication. It's a DM in response. And so all of these platforms that were historically one to many and about the megaphone speaker are also leaning into this trend of smaller groups, smaller connections, not massive reach. And I think that also is indicative of the fact that like, we're such a nuanced culture, such nuanced people that like mass appeal almost doesn't exist anymore. And that's like what goes into all of these articles we're seeing of what happened to the traditional celebrity. Like, are there movie stars anymore? All of that. And I think it's a wonderful thing because the reason it's happening is we have, to the point earlier, so much content, so much to look at, so much diversification. There's something for everybody. Mass Appeal is dead. You heard it here from Stephanie Smith. <laughs> Hot take. Mass Appeal is dead. Don't cancel me. <laughs> this episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So now that Stephanie has confirmed that mass appeal is dead, what more can we expect from the creator economy in 2023? 
To dig a little deeper on this, I reached out to two execs, one on the creator end of things. My name is Madison Long. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Clutch, where we connect emerging brands to the next generation of creators. And the other in the VC space. My name is Zara Nukfi. I'm a senior investment associate at Republic. Republic is a global fintech firm that is democratizing access to the private markets. I think my big thing with the creator economy is that we're going to start seeing these new niches develop. And so I think freelancer, the freelancer economy is something I'm very interested in because I think creators, again, the definition is getting really broad. And we see, let's say, for example, like personal trainers who make content on TikTok and get a following and help their audience. But at the same time, they're also freelancers because they rely on getting clients and running the business themselves and actually like having one on one relationships. So I feel like that the freelancer economy as I guess blended with the creator economy is something that I think is going to get more attention in 2023. And then I think For lack of better words, this is kind of defined by two things. I think the collector economy, we're starting to see more influencers use like to know it and all of these different aggregation tools to show everything they're shopping, show everything they're using, defining it in different categories. Obviously, I think Amazon is very popular, but people also will aggregate their own lists with other companies. And that I think is going to be really important for creators because we're getting to a point where influencers content is helpful but then the audience at least when i think of myself i want to see what they're using i want to see what products they're using i want to go in look through everything i want to know their points and so it almost goes back to this like blogging kind of element where the video first takes you back in and then you go to a link and there's just all this aggregated information for you curation is similar to collecting but i think curation requires a lot more specificity i see the collector economy as something where it's going to be long lists, long vision boards, Pinterest boards, and the curator economy almost being like the bite-sized version of what we would see from a collector, thinking about it similarly to like an art gallery that has like 10 pieces up versus an art collector who has like 100 pieces in their collection. So three very different avenues, but I really feel strongly that freelancer, collector, and curator all as part of the creator economy are going to get more emphasis in 2023. That's interesting because that's something that Stephanie from UTA mentioned that there's going to be this emphasis on content curation. So is there an example from a creator that you can pinpoint? I think I mentioned Alex Earl. People are starting to call her the next it girl. I think she went from 50,000 followers to I think she's at a million now or she's getting very close in the last like two to three weeks. With someone like her who people are calling an it girl or just wanting to see every single thing she's consuming and her get ready with me seeing every single product she's using she makes them very condensed and the get ready with me videos are more about the story she's telling and she directs her audience to the links that are in her tiktok like link in bio and when you click on them they're all these like long lists they'll have like a hundred products in health and wellness 50 products in makeup 40 products in like how i sleep and all of those things so i feel like with her it's very much the collector economy. I think with the curator economy, I hesitate to even just pinpoint an example at this point because I feel like I haven't yet seen someone do this, but it's almost like I think the tastemakers, like the the media companies that we see now, like Hype Beast or Hype Bay or High Snobiety, I feel like there will at some point be influencers who are tastemakers 
whether it's clothing, whether it's products, whether it's the next it brands, that's kind of the way that I see it right now. And I think Alex is a really interesting example because she's blowing up right now, kind of similar to when Victoria Paris was really exponentially growing a year ago. It is really similar to that. Nice. And so, Madison, what about you? What are your top predictions for 2023 in the creator economy? The first thing is the big elephant in the room is TikTok going away in the U.S. Yeah. And how will those creators be able to find other platforms to disperse their content? I think that depending on how that decision rolls out, and even regardless if TikTok is still here and nothing changes, other platforms are jumping on the potential to help these creators go from TikTok to their platforms and monetize there and bring ad dollars there. Obviously, we know YouTube Shorts, uh, Facebook, even LinkedIn has made a lot of investments if Twitter brings Vine back. But there's also Shopify, Klarna, Amazon, who are focused on having individual creators make short form video that will help convert customers. Like what Zara was saying, that is a way to further create a hyper demand. People say, oh, TikTok made me buy this. You don't think Amazon wants people to say the same thing? Amazon right. Shorts made me buy this, right? right? And so um, as we all see short form video being an incredible conversion tool for consumerism, I will be really interested to see where these creators go with TikTok's possible demise, or even if it's still around, but there's so many more monetization opportunities out there. I'm glad that you mentioned take the, the ban of TikTok because we've seen platforms this year, specifically TikTok and Twitter, go through some challenges. Um, and with Elon take, assume, assuming his role as CEO of Twitter, it's just been chaotic. And I know that for a lot of people, Twitter has not really been a platform for creators per se. Like it's mainly just, you know, people call it the town square. It's just for like disseminating information. People don't look at it as like a creator platform, a creator first platform. But he did mention the possibility of bringing back Vine, which I thought was interesting. Um, I did a whole episode about like ruminating what that would mean. Could it be in competition with TikTok? So how do you see the dust settling around Twitter if it's going to settle in 2023? Because I mean, the chaotic energy that Elon is bringing to this platform is a lot. So what's your prediction for Twitter in 2023? Zara, what, let's start with you. Yeah, I think Twitter is so interesting because I used to use it when I was like 13, 14, when I was a One Direction stan and I had my little accounts and then I just completely fell off of using it. And then because of VC, I kind of came back to it. And it's interesting because I think with venture capital and startups, there's almost this like random little niche on Twitter where people will develop brands and ecosystems and followings and become influencer, creator, investors almost, or creator founders. And so Twitter is really interesting because for me, when the dust does settle, which I do think it will, it is a place where just so many things in industry happen. Because I know for journalism, it's really similar. There's so much, like Twitter is such an important way to disseminate information. And I think with VC, people are not just going to Twitter to kind of talk and listen to people's opinions. They're also like finding deals. And it's become almost this like integrated platform with, I think, just so many different industries. And the only ones that I personally know of are journalism and VC and startups, but I'm sure there are others. I think what's really interesting with like TikTok and Instagram and the potential like algorithms changing, I think the best default that I've seen influencers do at this point is develop those email lists and start pivoting back to newsletters and almost like blogs and the OGs of the internet. Again, like very full circle. 
But I don't know. I'm just, I'm still bullish on Twitter kind of still being around. I think it's been too ingrained in so many industries for it to not still be around. I think all these platforms have become so ingrained in different levels of industry that it's almost like people will push very hard against them. But then the reality is like they drive so much of the American economy. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that, that you kind of VCs using Twitter, because, you know, I, I mentioned that I did a whole episode just kind of ruminating on the idea of find where to come back. Like, what would it be? And I spoke to Lauren Schnipper, who's the VP of corporate development at Jelly Smack. She's like, first of all, Twitter should have a meaningful video strategy, but it doesn't necessarily need to be in contention with TikTok. They should think about video pertaining to journalists, pertaining to VCs, like look at who their core audience is and then develop a video product around that. And I thought that that was so smart because I think a people's initial thought is like, oh, Twitter bought Vine and short form entertainment, like that's what they should dive back into. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. So, yeah, I think that that the v- VCs and journalists, like what what a video product would look like for them on Twitter. I'm curious to see it. As they sleep on their cots and figure out what to do with that platform. But anyway, Madison, what about you? I mean, like, what role do you see Twitter playing in the creator economy in 2023? Absolutely. Um, Before we go into just the creator economy, how I see it in the zeitgeist, Facebook is really about, like, deep connections, family. Instagram's a little cold, trying to really show your best self. And TikTok is a lot of evergreen content that if eight months later you see that video, you could still get a really good laugh from it. You could really uh, relate to someone. You might watch a hundred videos just from one creator because it's more of an evergreen stylized content where Twitter is very current, very now. Yes, that works really well for news, but also the White Lotus finale last week. Do you know how many people had never heard of White Lotus and now everyone's tweeting about it at the exact same time? What is that doing for HBO Max? A lot. Are any of these people getting paid to do that? No, that is insane. And then people are taking those tweets, making them into blogs that they're monetizing, putting them on the news, all these other things. And so there's a massive gap in the way that Twitter succeeds. That's why they kind of destroyed Clubhouse. They succeed when it comes to live form, building community, giving input, having thoughts, being funny when things happen. When a tragedy happens or when the best thing ever happens, going to Twitter is always going to be an entertaining experience. There's going to be jokes. There's going to be nuance. There's going to be debates. There's going to be real helpful facts Personally, I don't see that anywhere else. And so if they can really figure out how to make that space monetizable on their platform, not just with the link in bio or having to go to the DMs, I've pitched investors from Twitter through their DMs, like it works, but how can that actually be something on platform that has some longevity? Mm. I don't know, Um, (laughs) I don't know yet, but I would be really excited to see how they can crack that code. Cause if they realize that that live audience and highly engaged time periods are what makes Twitter Twitter, then they can go from there. Absolutely. And first of all, it's okay that you don't know. This is that's why we call them predictions. This is fine. But... No, sure. I'm just saying that's a hard problem to solve. <laughs> it is. But you bring up a really good point because it is a place for water cooler conversation. And and I've seen so many TV and film productions like incorporate that in their marketing. They'll take tweets that people, and I don't think those people get paid, and they'll incorporate it as like standing alongside of like, you know, such and such from Variety or such and such from Rolling Stone. You know, like it's people take these comments from Twitter because they know that that's where public discourse happens. So how that's harnessed in a way that can possibly be monetized, 
I think is going to be really interesting. We've seen the rise of TikTok, which has been amazing for creators, you know, finding their platform and, and discoverability. But the thorn in the side here is how difficult it is to monetize short form content. And I know that YouTube Shorts is going to make a big change in 2023 and opening up their YouTube partner program. And really, YouTube is really going to lead the way, I think, in how short form content can be monetized. And Madison, I know that you wrote a blog post titled Short Form Video is a Future of Online Authenticity. And so I kind of want to start with you in this realm of like knowing that short form content is so important to content creation in the creator economy. But that dissonance between it being so important, but also being really difficult to monetize. Like, how do you see that playing out in 2023? Yeah, there is a natural tension there. The past kind of uh, initial thoughts around short form video have been through the lens of pure entertainment, uh, jokes, laughs, dancing. But short form video inherently has statistically helped a lot with conversions to products. What Zara was talking about of that get ready with me, yes, that skincare is going to be sold out if that is in the hands of the right person on the right day where people are like, I've never seen that before. There's so much back and forth. And so there is something to honing short form video or understanding what things about it work and not making it so that every single short form video platform is just commercial after commercial. Nobody wants that. And so it's managing the balance of the two. I do go to TikTok to buy things. If I need to know, hey, what's the best air fryer? What's a great gift for my dad? They honestly have some really great results. Vacation places, all these different things, absolutely amazing SEO on TikTok. And so there is a really great opportunity to help monetize that. If YouTube Shorts can figure out how to make sure that ads within the video can be successful, like on long form, I think there's a lot of money to be made there without it being just commercial after commercial. Mm -hmm, for sure. And Zara, I don't know if you have any thoughts on how short form content should or could be monetized in 2023. Yeah, I think short form content is so interesting because whenever I think short form, my mind immediately goes to like 25 seconds, 30 seconds, which is obviously not only what we're talking about because in my head TikTok has made me think now a three minute video a 10 minute video that's long and that's why it's interesting because from both a consumer perspective and then thinking about the work that i do at republic and talking with founders who are in the creator economy it's so interesting because i feel like that definition between like what is a 30 second ad good for and what is a one minute ad good for or a three minute ad good for it's interesting because i feel like there's so much that can be defined by age group where I think a three minute video is going to resonate with maybe like older Gen Z and millennials and a one minute video is going to resonate with Gen Z's and maybe like 30 second is Gen Alpha. And it's interesting because I feel like the most effective short form ads I've ever seen come from the influencers who started on YouTube and have somehow ma managed to sustain their community. Like I think Cody Ko is a really good example. He's always integrated his ads very seamlessly and there his content goes in so many different directions but because he's converted his audience to community all the comments are always gassing him up whenever he has any ad if it's like a 20 second ad a one minute ad a three minute ad they're always showing love for him and i think short form content in general can pivot away from like his 15 minute long videos to the 30 second ads that he does on tiktok that nuance is at least the first place that i see 
short form video content in terms of ads doing really well when it's creators who are seasoned who have that community but then at the same time almost flipping it on its head i think that organic content that starts with someone who's just passionate about a product makes a 30 second video about it and then in hindsight the company pays them to turn that video into an ad i think there's almost like two avenues that we see there with short form content madison my question for you would be it's interesting because you're a founder and you're also deep in this space and the way that the creator economy works. And I think what I find very fascinating as an operator and a VC is is wondering whether or not founders think it's valuable to become creators themselves, whether it is on Twitter, whether it is on TikTok, and how that helps with your business and the brand you're building. So I'm really curious about your takes on that. Absolutely. I downloaded TikTok last November, uh, knowing that we were going to be pivoting our solution in January. Um, and I said, I need to figure out this platform before I design a solution around short form video. Um, and I began making TikToks famously, and I say famously, meaning I have about uh, a few hundred people who enjoy this content. Um, I do restroom reviews. So <laughs> I'll go into, like, whenever I'm out of town in a beautiful hotel, a wonderful restaurant, I'll give a rating on the restroom. And I think it's a really good indicator of how well you're taking care of your guests, how much attention to detail you put into a restroom. That is niche content. A niche, niche, <laughs> yes. And I have people on my TikTok like, oh my gosh, you had me at restroom review. And I'm like, yeah, you see the vision. <laughs> but I specifically didn't go to TikTok to make uh, my brand about being a startup founder. And that's a personal choice. I think that it can work really well. And I've seen it work really well for other founders. My thing is, I wanted to see what the capabilities of this are outside of my day job so that I could be consistent with it without it feeling like more work. And so I've been able to amass a thousand followers <laughs> and a few <laughs> tens of thousands of likes and not all for restroom reviews, but it's been really, really fascinating seeing what that learning curve is, seeing how the algorithm feeds my content to certain people, how when I interact with the algorithm, those similar people are interacting with me and just, yeah, just the general zeitgeist. When it comes to, is it important? Which I believe was your question. I think it can be. Um, I also have seen it be to the detriment of certain founders. Uh, you might have been really big on the Web3 space, and now people feel like they can't trust you because of all the skepticism and cynicism in the space. And you haven't really talked about anything else because that was the brand you were building. And that can feel possibly very isolating. And so I think when you really focus on a niche outside of restroom reviews, um, no, I'm just kidding, but <laughs> when you focus on a niche that really is wrapped up in your identity, the way you make money, the way you reach out to investors, like very high stakes things, it's a harder fall. And so I think that's just a risk that I'm now recognizing is even bigger and broader. Uh, making big promises on platforms saying, hey, I can help you make money in this way, follow me, right? Now people are kind of seeing the cracks in that with the economy shrinking. And so I think it's just a responsibility and ethic 
around what you're doing when it comes to the creator economy. That's important for people in very powerful positions like investors, like founders. They're bringing millions of dollars to the economy, hiring people, working with people, like really influencing things, uh, maybe not in the actual monetization of their posts, but influencing things broadly. And I, I just try to be really cognizant of that. Oh, well, I think that's all I had for you. This has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to both of you. And thank you for your insights. And we'll see what happens in 2023. I feel like at the end of 2023, I may reach out to you again and we can see how on the mark and off the mark we were with all our predictions. But yeah, I think I, I mean, I think one thing that we can all agree on is like the creator economy is not going anywhere, even with a possible looming recession. Like we I feel like you can't stop this train now. Like the creator economy is just going full force. So I thank you both for your insights. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you. This has been great. That's going to do it for this episode of Creative Control. As always, make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, And make sure to rate and comment as well, because we love hearing from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, Matt Toder, and Julia Shu. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Deputy editor David Litsky provided editorial oversight for this episode, as well as senior VP of entertainment Scott Meebus. Mm-hmm.